Hi, I'm Gabriella Ranka, and this is Living Mind Infuse. Esan, so good to see you. Thanks so much for joining me today. I'm speaking to Esan Sakai today. He's a lecturer at Sydney University in the engineering department and also the founder of Wacky Wisdom. And Esan and I are going to talk about personal development and particular focus on mindfulness and meditation. Uh, very much a, a subject I, I love to talk about and hear about. So Esan, welcome. So good to see you. Thank you so much, Gabby, for having me. Welcome. So Esan, just let us know what got you into mindfulness and yeah, how you got started on that journey of which, because as we all know, once we do get on the journey of meditation and mindfulness, it's just ongoing, evolving. You never actually get anywhere. You just kind of um, always changing and moving with it. So yeah, just explain a little bit about how you got started. Sure. Well, um, First of all, thanks so much, Gabby, for, for having me um, at your show. And um, so for me, I think personal development has always been a part of my life since I was a kid, you know, since I was in my teens, I always wanted to kind of develop myself. And so I started different um, uh, spiritual traditions, you know, personal development paradigms and theories and so on. Um, but, but essentially, I think um, it was my personal journey of finding out how do I lead myself more effectively and, and become the best versions of best version of myself. And that kind of um, became the cornerstone of certain experiences I had. Um, you, know, f- you know, I can tell you like one, I, you know, I spent a, a s- several years in Japan um, and I found that a, a quite a challenging experience because, you know, being self-isolated in a country, you don't know the language properly. Um, and I had to kind of learn how to get through all those times where I felt disconnected and, um, and not able to communicate effectively. Um, and mindfulness was a tool that helped me to, to meditate and um, ground myself and, uh, and get in touch with myself and reconnect with myself really essentially. Um, and, and through those difficult times. Um, and also, uh, you know, coming from a, an engineer, so I did engineering and I did all these technical kind of degrees and, um, and then I, my job was all technical. Um, and going through the education system, going into um, um, and working at the university, I realized, you know, there's so many things that so many of the students around me will lacked a lot of these skills of self-management, self-regulation, um, uh, and just these things, what we call soft skills. And so, so it was around that time, which was about 10, 10, 11 years ago, where um, I felt there's a calling me being the person to help them cultivate those skills. So then that was the time where I, I brought that, what, what I had learned and what had helped me um, into the education system where I was in Japan at that moment. So I started kind of these mentoring programs, coaching programs around um, soft skill development, meditation, things like that. Uh, and, um, and there was one point where I realized this is all I want to do. So I had to quit my main job, which was doing researching wireless tele- telecommunications and pretty much focusing all my work on that personal development um, and leadership development space. About 10 years ago, which meant I had to also leave my job because I wasn't hired to do that kind of stuff. 
it was okay to do it on the on the side but you know i still had to churn out papers <laughs> research papers on <laughs> engineering so i had to kind of let go of that and come back to australia and see where else i can apply that um which was you know i found my way into sydney university where i could actually embed some of these personal development and mindfulness into my own teaching in, and that's what fantastic I that they accepted this as part of so it's part of the actual engineering degree to do your course, or is it a? Um, uh, it's yeah, um, currently the yeah. mm, currently the subject I teach is a substitute for another subject. So so if they do this, they don't have to do that. So it's kind of um, it becomes part of a core unit, um, but it's it's very much like. Uh, looking for opportunities where where whether it's an elective or whether it's a core subject is like how how do you embed some of these things and and i just looked for all the subjects that are related to either leadership or sustainability or entrepreneurship where it makes sense to to embed that in there right so um uh, so that was a venue for me to look for, you know, I changed things a lot. Like for instance, the leadership subjects that were taught were very much around leadership theories. It was very much not about personal transformation, but about just learning about different theories. And, you know, whereas for me, I, I kind of changed the program so that the first part of the program, it's all about self-leadership, self-awareness, self-management, all of that, which then again, mindfulness was a core component of that. Um, so you know, it was just finding, yeah. No, and I just find that it's so interesting that um, when you – and those things are imperative in all industries and jobs and to have that awareness and and comprehension of what it is to just be a person and to meet other people as people as well. And you take away that layer of kind of competition when you learn these skills and understand – yeah, what it is to to lead people and to have humanity as part of a business. It just you, you'd imagine it'd be standard, but unfortunately, in our world, it's it's like a like it's like a revelation for me to hear that you actually do that in in an engineering course. But um, it'd be great to see it as a standard, right? Absolutely, absolutely, and I think you're right. It's it's just not there as standard, and and just to break that cycle and. Um, and, and, and also be challenged by others is like, you know, why even, even students, uh, you know, it's a lot of students actually find it's the most valuable aspect of what they learn. And there are others who say, well, why, why do we need to learn this? I mean, we, we're here to do engineering, just learn te technical stuff, um, because they, they, they can't see the application of it in the, in a broader context outside, um, what they're, they're used to, which is compete technically against other students and just, you know, um, and, and most of my students are very bright students who um, excelled uh, in high school and they, they're kind of really intelligent. They've got, you know, they've got high ATARs and, and grades. So they, they, they kind of come into university thinking that's what matters, just competing and getting the, being the best. And so, I mean, I can relate to them because I was like that. <laughs> so it was, it's not like, so I was like that for uh, until, um, you know, I was an undergrad where I started kind of thinking, is that what really matters actually? Mm. And I started questioning that whole 
mindset of achievement, you know, which, which I can relate to all, all my students have very achievement oriented mindset, but also many of them are miserable at the same time. So achievement does not bring happiness. So that was a point where it's like, hang on. Um, and even when I was working in Japan, I looked at a lot of the academics who were very successful, but they also were very miserable. And I was like, okay, something's not right here. <laughs> so, um, so it was kind of that turning point where I started questioning what's really important um, and looking for the answer. Um, and, and, uh, and that was, that was when I, um, I kind of brought in what I had all, already learned myself I mean, over the years that helped me to become happier and, you know, a, a, a better version of myself. Obviously I was still learning. I wasn't, I hadn't got everything right, but it was like, oh, okay, these things, what I've learned um, would be helpful. I didn't learn it in academia. I learned it outside academia, outside the education system, but it, this is what's needed um, in the education system. So as a, as an educator and part of the education system, I saw it as a responsibility for me to bring that in um, and look like the odd one out from amongst my colleagues, because there's like, that's kind of not what we normally do. <laughs> and do they so, accept it? Is it an acceptable part of, obviously you've been doing it a while now. Is it accepted or do some people still go, what's all that about? Or has Oh, it, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think, I think what we started doing in engineering um, close to eight years ago started kind of, um, you know, that, that conversation we started, you know, eight years ago, having these kind of leadership programs um, that was uh, I involved in, it kind of got into the wider university. And now we have graduate qualities, which look at leadership skills and soft skills and things like that. So it's all, um, it, it does, it, people do see the value, but someone has to start something somewhere before it you know, and, and, and have some kind of pilot program where people can see that, yes, there is value uh, and there's, you know, um, and, and um, students are finding value in that. I think it's interesting that it's kind of, uh, not that it isn't leadership and not that leadership's not important, but it's under that banner of leadership. Uh, it reminds me of um, Brene Brown and um, talking about shame and vulnerability and how companies would come to her, corporations, and say, yeah, but can you call it creativity and innovation? <laughs> You know, like, yeah, <laughs> it's a little right, right. banner over the blanket a little bit. Like if you called it meditation, come to my meditation class, you probably wouldn't get as many people show up. But That's right. That's yeah. right. That's right. So the, the banner kind of uh, helps um, at least bring people in and then they get exposed to other things, which are. <laughs> and it's too late. <laughs> You've got them. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah. Esan, from that experience, you founded Wacky Wisdom. Is that right? Do you want to tell us a bit about Wacky Wisdom? And Wacky even Wisdom. The, the name is, is um, I mean, it's a catchy name right there. So the Wacky Wisdom actually, um, so when I, I came back from Japan, I actually had nothing to go into, right? I had no job. I had no, and I, I thought about, okay, what do I want to really do with my life? Um, as a cartoonist, which was something which I had com completely overlooked. Um, um, so I thought, okay, how do I bring my cartooning skills and what I'm passionate about, which is personal development um, through uh, whether it's mindfulness, well-being, 
and 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 so you know i i thought okay wacky wisdom is making something where you make um uh, seemingly difficult complex problems into something more palatable and fun and funny so it was kind of that space where um we can create edutainment out of you know all these kind of very important topics that no one really um, looked at um, which includes that you know wisdom and self-leadership and mindfulness and all of those things um, and that was that was basically what started it so th- that was even before I, I joined the university um, and at that time um, I started creating animations around well-being um, and and um, um, but it was it was it, it, again it was I, I didn't have a business model really at that time so so um a lot of my early uh clients were um startups who wanted to explain what their business was about so they would come to me and i you know, helped them build animations to, to explain their businesses so i kind of diverted a bit from there okay from my original okay. um but but yeah so that was um and and and, to, and right now so wacky wisdom is is still a avenue where I can create animations based around important messages that I'd like to, you know, um, send out to the world is how do I make it fun and interesting, but also important. So educating while ed- entertaining. So, um, yeah. yeah, so that, you know, I use that in my, t- in my teaching as well. A lot of cartoons, animations to get complex challenge, like complex um, ideas across to, mm. to my students. And they find um, that quite, yeah. Make it fun yeah. and yeah, palatable yeah, exactly. and yeah, yeah, palatable. <laughs> yeah, and so yeah, what do students? What can students expect when they come to your classes? What what do you teach? And do you teach a certain kind of meditation techniques, or do you use many different um, yeah types so, of meditation or mindfulness? Do you stick to mindfulness? Do you mm. stick to traditional teachings or yeah? Um. So, so there's two aspects of, so, so there's the, the base, basically um, the first part of the course is around leading and sustaining self. And, and so, so that self-awareness and self-understanding and self-management is, is that core component. And under that banner, we have different techniques. So mindfulness is one technique of um, observation, observing yourself, being aware of what's happening in your mind, in your body, uh, around you and developing that heightened sense of awareness um and i and i you know obviously talk about self-regulation which is like deep breathing and you know um doing certain techniques to kind of if you're feeling stressed you know you can um exercise or do deep breathing and, and you know do laughter therapy so i do cover different kinds of things um um, but I, I do say that mindfulness is not about change. It's about just simply awareness and acceptance of your current experience. Don't think, you know, it's, it's a separate kind of, it all, it's almost its own thing happening um, where uh, you just simply observe your internal experiences and just fully accept them for what they are non-judgmentally. Um, and um, just talking about it obviously is not enough because they need to practice it. So, so we have weekly mindfulness uh, classes, you know, twice a week I run that um, through Zoom at the moment. So they join those classes and, um, you know, spend 10, 15 minutes just paying attention to the breath, doing a body scan. Um, and that kind of helps them cultivate and develop that skill of awareness. Um, 
so it's guided, you know, on, on how to observe non-judgmentally and accepting um, whatever, you know, experience you're having, even if you're not able to focus and be present, um, that's okay because that's the whole point of the practice. A lot of them come into the meditation thinking it's about cleaning, clearing your mind and not having any thoughts. And that's absolutely not the case. It's like, if there are lots of thoughts, just observe them, accept them, just, you know, uh, and just gently bring your attention back. And so kind of getting that message across mm. um, is really important with the mindfulness um, practice. And it is, it is essentially um, the basis of the course in, in a way because uh, it's, it's almost like you develop a heightened sense of awareness of self, others, the planet. Um, and, and that's when you can actually lead and manage not before if you don't have a a deep understanding of yourself and of others and of the planet and what what are the root causes of problems how can you lead right so it's 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 just really starting with that that awareness aspect and and really um cultivating that um so so yeah yeah i mean awareness that's um i think that's just spot on for when I used to teach mindfulness in corporate and I would only teach practice and I'd give a little bit of concept and theory but like you say you only you only know what it is from practice no words can really describe or explain it because it's going to be different for everybody as well but I used to describe it as that dimension inside of you that's always still always aware and you're just building a path to that dimension and when you reach that because I know when people first sit to practice mindfulness and like you say, they think they're not going to think any thoughts, you do get to those places sometimes, but it is about realising there's like another dimension to you that is aware and observing and always just in the moment and it's just finding, finding that part of you and then operating from that part. Yeah, that's Absolutely. the kind of way I explain it. And when you when you get it, you just get it, and you're going to get there through through practice, through sitting, through doing the body scan and and breathing, whatever technique takes you there. Different things will work for different people, and what a valuable tool to always have throughout your life and to learn through the education department. I only wish, I hope we see it in schools more and more. I know there's more mindfulness teaching in schools, but hopefully one day that will just be a standard um, yep. option. Um, like when you, if you want to go to religious studies, like in primary school, you know, we have a religious once a week. Instead of that, you just go to a mindfulness class, like having that as a, a standard choice for kids mm-hmm. or even just incorporating it into, you know, starting the day with five minutes of kids breathing and being present with themselves, what a different generation will will have in the future. Uh, just imperative mental health and personal development. And Esan, I just, you know, one thing that I've always wondered about, and I spoke to you about this before we recorded, is just that the male um, aspect of personal development and meditation and these kind of more, I guess, spiritual practices. And I've been in you know, personal development courses and classes for many, many years. And, yeah, men aren't always there. Well, tell us about that. <laughs> Where are they? <laughs> and, and, like, what is that? Um, it's just unfortunate that there's that space of not wanting to to be a part of it or is it intimidating or, yeah, opening up to your feelings. 
what would you say it is about men and mental health and personal development? Yeah, I think it's a great question, Gabby. And I, I think that there are probably different aspects that contribute to that. One is probably culture. Mm. Um, culturally, um, men, and I think in Australia it's the same, um, are not supposed to be vulnerable or weak or have problems or have emotions and just need to be strong. And, um, and, and so, so they, I think it's a, it's a cultural thing to hide emotions and not deal with them and just, um, make yourself busy with sports and work and all of that, you know, in a kind of a cultural sense. So that's one, I think one element. Um, and, and kind of it feeds to the next thing is like, if no one else is doing it, so why should I do it? Right. So it's just, it's, it's like, you know, there's always a tipping point that's required where you have a certain number of people who are interested for the rest to follow. You know, it's kind of, it's the same as, you know, in, um, um, uh, if you look at like new ideas, right. You know, you, there's, and it's, it's funny, I'll tell you this story where, I look at like, cause I spent some time in the U S and, and I, you know, observed how uh, students in the U S for instance, um, 80% turn up to lectures, right? 80% turn up to lectures in the U S whereas here 80% don't turn up to lectures. And I was like, why is it completely inverse? And I realized yes, because 80% of people look at what other, you know, what the majority are doing and they just follow that rather than, you know, think for themselves. It's an unfortunate thing, but so, so going back to it's like if most men are not doing that, then then the, the the rest will just say, oh, you know, why should I do it? Because it just it's like me going to a yoga class. You know, I I used to go you know, when I go to yoga classes, like I'm either the only guy, <laughs> or maybe there's one more, and we are the odd ones out, right? And yes. Um, and, and how does that make you feel? Actually, just on that, how does that make you feel? Is it awkward? Do you think that's maybe an element of it? Because if men do choose to go to yoga classes or meditation class, is it is it um, do they feel not manly enough if they're there and there's ten women there and they feel a bit out of their depth or overpowered, <laughs> overwhelmed? Yeah, I think all yeah. of all the above. I think right. all the above, and and to to be comfortable with. Um, with that requires uh, the, the, the kind of letting go of an ident identity, essentially is just oh, what the society thinks that you should be like rather than what you want to be like. Right. Mm. Um, and not many people are willing to do that because they want to fit in. They want to fit into their groups and they want to fit in and um, be seen in a certain way. Um, so it is an identity thing right it's it's a cultural but also identity where you know how do i look if i go into a class where everyone's a woman do i like you know what would people think right so that's that comes up i think for most people so um yeah. i yeah. yeah yeah so i so so it's it's kind of um it's funny because i sense that a lot of people want to be different but they don't because they it's because of how they they might be perceived Right. And that, that kind of judgment is preventing um, that from happening to the point where I say, if people didn't worry about, then probably 50% of the people coming into a yoga class will be male. Yeah. And, um, you know, obviously then is it, 
you know, it's not manly enough to go to these classes, so, but it's manly enough to go to the pub and drink a beer and that's, that's how you deal with your mental health and your emotions. But then obviously we've got a really big issue with suicide in the male population. Uh, when I worked for a government department in, in mental health, I did suicide prevention training and uh, the male, the statistics of men is way more than women in all, in all age range age groups and I was really surprised at that I think at the moment it's one of the biggest um you know suicide's one of the biggest problems for men under the age of 44 in this country and so we do need to look as a community how we can address these issues of not making it okay to talk about your mental health and go to a meditation class or seek some kind of personal development like what how can we make it okay so men don't feel you know, yeah. feel so that they can't. And the only way out is suicide, which just seems to be from the statistics is what's happening. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. I think it is about self-worth as well. Like if someone feels like they don't fit into this kind of a image of what a man should be like, like strong, not having emotions. And if they find themselves not fitting into that image, what is the outlet people kind of, if they, if they, 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 they their identity, they're, they're having an, almost like an identity crisis. Again, it's, it's all about identity. It's about expectations rather than like, and that's, that's one of the main issues is people um, and probably men um, uh, experiences, but I'm, I'm, I think women also, it's, 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 it's a matter, it's, it's a question of, self-worth and self-value and how you feel about that and and people tie that their self-worth to um uh, you know from an external perspective you know what other people think of them um and when that's compromised that's when people start kind of doing irrational you know going the rational irrational path of self-destruction really Mm. And it is that environmental, yeah, if you feel judged by your environment, if your family or friends aren't supportive of this idea, then it'd be very difficult to, uh, if, unless, if it, it's like courage, it comes back to yeah. having the courage to be vulnerable, to seek these kind of things out, to seek the help out and um and and make that change because then you really have to stand up to people that you love or the people that are around you that you are conditioned by and say something that's not okay with them and that that yeah. that is i think we all probably struggle with that it is very difficult Absolutely. and if, Absolutely. yeah and if you come from a background that really just does not have that in their you know scope of awareness it's very very difficult so only as a society can we really bring everybody up and make it okay. So, Esan, on that, do you have any advice for anyone that may be listening that is wanting to, you know, is a man and wants to explore personal development? Got any tips or ideas on where you'd start or what could help? I think, uh, first of all, is is going after what you want to be and being who you want to be, I think that's one element of it is if, if that's what you're interested in, just go after it and don't do it because other people are doing it or not doing it. It's just, I think people just follow a trend without really thinking what's important and valuable to them. So, so it's really just questioning what is actually important to me is going to the pub on a Friday more important than doing a yoga. Just really being honest about that answer. Um, 
and what are the repercussions? You know, yes, I want to fit in, but what, what are the costs of that? Right. Um, and yes, there are certain sacrifices and people might be start, might start to do things which make, you know, and I always say, yes, when you do become who you are, you may lose relationships. You may lose certain people who were not meant to be in your life because they're not supportive of who you are. But, but then you will attract people who are supportive of that new person who is tr the, your true self, right? So I, I think that's really important to be comfortable with the fact that there will be lifestyle changes um, when you um, make a choice, a conscious choice about what's important. Um, so that's, that's one thing. And, yeah, go. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, go. Um, and so that's, I think that's really important is to, to ask oneself one, uh, that, that hard question. I think the second thing is going back to what I mentioned about self-worth is about that intrinsic value that everyone has, regardless of what you do, where you are, who you are, you know, um, it's it, independent of social status. It's independent of wealth, it's independent of, you know, your ethnicity, your gender, your religion, whatever. Right. And, and really, you know, identifying that intrinsic value that is in all of life and all all of not just humans but all of life and everything that that there is and that you you don't have to be somebody to prove your you know your your worth you don't have to kind of get there because i think i think a lot of people struggle with that a lot of people trying to accumulate more degrees and status and this and that just to prove their their sense of worth yeah yeah so um, true and you must see that a lot as well being oh, absolutely yeah that's, that's um, and, 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 you know, people like I've had students come to me and say, you know, like, you know, just, I can sense that. And I say, look, even if you sit and do nothing for the rest of your life, you're valuable. Don't, you're doing too many things. Stop it. Right. Because <laughs> they want to do so much to look good. And I ask them, okay, if you find a value, yes, do it, but also do it for the right reason. And not because you want to kind of elevate yourself, not because you're trying to compete or stand out from the crowd or whatever that, that is, because it's just never going to end and it will never bring you satisfaction to do it because you find it valuable because you, um, this is your passion and you, you know, find meaning in it, not to, you know, prove your worth because you're already worthy, no matter what you do, no matter where you end up, no matter what. Uh, I think you're nailing that into our, our youth is so important because I think a lot of the, the the depression, the anxiety, suicide is actually rooted in, in identity and self-worth. I think that is the root of it is like, um, am I valuable enough? Am I loved? Am I, you know, am I enough? Essentially yeah. that is, even if it's not spoken out loud, it's so unconsciously deeply ingrained that is it's, it's, it's the kind of the basis of a lot of time, a lot of the things people do. Um, to, to, to kind of, um, to make themselves, um, valuable. Um, and, and it's, it, it, the problem with that is it's, this is, is because then it just never ends. It's an infinite game essentially, because every time you raise yourself, someone else has to raise themselves to feel as worthy. <laughs> and so there's just, it's, it's, it's a, uh, um, it's a dysfunctional mindset because it will just lead to disaster. Whereas once you kind of accept that everyone's valuable, I'm no more valuable than the per homeless person sitting there, regardless of what status and wealth and where I am, whether, whether I'm the prime minister or, or just a beggar, I, you know, my value is not going to change. Then 
suddenly the conversation changes. It's like, okay, what am I about? About what am I passionate about? What's important to me? How can I contribute? How can I make a difference? What is my work in this life? So the focus just it, it, it's taken away from these extrinsic factors of uh, perception of value to the intrinsic motivation of why, you know, what is valuable? What, what is my contribution? Um, it's a very different mindset. That's it is definitely. And that's great advice. And I uh, just think that's so spot on about value and, and how people don't feel valuable or just measuring your value on your pay packet or your education. And that's never, that will never end. Like you said, it will just keep going mm -hmm. because there's always more money you can make or there's always more certificates that you can get or more knowledge you can accumulate and not realizing the value is that you're here you're alive, you were born to parents, you have family, friends, even if you're feeling isolated, your value is that you're even part of this, what we call humanity, you're here experiencing, you are projecting that awareness into this environment. And that's, that's the value that we all have and share. And yeah, being homeless on the street, there's a lot of value in other people wanting to help. Like, so yeah. without people to, to help, then there's no helpers. And and when you really get into that, like why you want to help people is because you gain something out of it too, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not all altruistic. It's actually beneficial. It fills you up giving and sharing and and giving to people that can't give or don't have enough to give to themselves even. So, Esan, that was so – I really appreciated that. And um, thanks so much for joining me. And I just want to know what's next for you, what's coming up. Uh, you mentioned you had a podcast earlier. How's that going? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, so I've started. I mean, uh, so uh, I will also um, be on a new journey after June because I'll be leaving the university. So okay. <laughs> a new chapter is opening up. Yeah, what's happening? Um, uh, so there's, there's a number of uh, books I'm writing. So I want to kind of complete that. Um, and and the, I've got a non-for-profit called Street, Street Poet, um, which um, which actually was when we originally started about three years ago is to eradicate homelessness um, through self-expression and arts and poetry. And um, so that's something is I've, I've, I've parked because I've been so involved with the university and, and, and teaching. And um, so that's one, that's the other. And, and I've got, um, and I mentioned to you, I've got so many different projects happening. I've got another startup, which is about measuring soft skills, <laughs> which is something we don't measure. So that's another thing. So there's a fair bit of work, but but for me to to step away after almost ten years of teaching at Sydney University and and um and, and seeing what else that I can do and 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 hopefully reach out to more people and I think that's that's one of my passions is to to um to reach out to more people and and make it make a difference um, not just individually but collectively I think working with others is so essential in this kind of work that we're doing around well being and and transformation you know personal transformation so so that's kind of um where i'll be from from uh from july and and yeah there's a bit of uncertainty so there is a, a you know i feel like the same thing that that i did 10 years ago leaving japan just entering the unknown is happening again in an, you know in, in five months time so <laughs> we'll yeah and look and it's it's courageous it's, it's definitely risk-taking and i've been there too and i i totally but this sounds like you've been very successful in the last 10 years and i'm sure there'll only be more success ahead for you and definitely come back and tell me more about street poet and your homelessness and your studies on soft skills i'd love to hear all of it 
Esan, thanks so much. Good to see you. Thank you so much for having me. Bye.